Our dear sisters, and um, we have this special program today for you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to speak less because I know that you guys have questions. So rather than me saying something which is uh, not be as relevant to what you want, I'll speak shortly and then after that, inshallah, we'll take your questions. Uh, we had a big, there was a big sheikh who lived several hundred years ago in Egypt, originally from Alexandria, but then he's buried in He's, he's buried in Cairo and he was on the path of spirituality and mashallah within that path he managed to make several different utterances, wisdoms that are very very profound. They, when you read these wisdoms, when you read these statements of his, it refines your ability to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You understand why we worship Allah. And you, we understand the nature of our life in this world. It gives us an understanding of why we do what we do. What Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us for. We keep hearing the verse, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ we did not create the human or the jinn except to worship us. So you can say that his words are almost like a commentary to this. One of the things that we face in this world inevitably is some kind of difficulty, some kind of an issue, whether small or big, manageable, and sometimes you may feel it's unmanageable. So he's got a book called, his name was Ibn Ata'illah, Al-Iskandari. Many of you would have heard of him. Ibn Ata'illah, he's, he's buried in Egypt. Two years ago I went to visit and there's a big masjid around it. And his mazar, his uh, tomb is there. Outside it, I was interested in another mazar, in another tomb. And that was the one of... Uh, another great Hanafi scholar whose name is Ibn al-Humam al-Siwasi the author of the commentary of Hidayah called Fatul Qadir and the story is very interesting why he was buried there Imam Ibn al-Humam is from Siwas which I think is one of the Ottoman lands that's where he's originally from this is a great jurist huge big jurist Muhaddith as well so the reason why he's buried there is because in his time when he was going through this graveyard where Ibn Ata'illah was buried and he was reciting, I think it's Suratul Hud, I think he's reciting. And there's a verse in there which says, um, What's before that? Who remembers? It says, Huh? So speaking about the Day of Judgment, how people's ending will be, and it says some of them will be shaqiyun, and some of them will be sa'idun. Uh, so on that day, there'll be some people who will be fortunate, and some people who will be unfortunate and wretched. 
because that's when it really all matters as to what really our ending is it depends on the day of judgment like what the judgment on that day is going to be then it will determine our entire life it'll be too late to make a change obviously but that's that's the case when that day comes when no nafs no person no human no no soul will be able to speak except with allah's permission so it's the day where there's no messing around no contacts no agreements with anybody else except allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so on that day allah then says that there'll be some people who'll be wretched because they'll face their they'll confront their ending coming out of an exam coming out of an exam and then suddenly you speak with your friends your classmates what did you write for this exam what did you write for that question you don't know you think you've written correctly and then your friend says no i wrote this and he said no that's wrong and you go and check and you actually he's right and you're wrong can you imagine how bad you feel but at least in the world there's retakes you can do retake it, it wastes time but at least you can do a retake but in the hereafter you can't so as his re as he just recited this verse some people will be fortunate some people will be wretched that he heard a voice coming from Ibn Atta'illah's grave from the area saying Laysa minna shaqiyun wala sa'idun Sorry, Laysa minna shaqiyun None of us in here are unfortunate This is a place full of fortunate people So he says, I need to be buried here So this is the kind of person we're speaking about and seriously if you read the book if, if you read his collection it's amazing so I'm just going to mention two of them for us today before we take questions. In one of them, he's got, oh, it's, there's about 260, 70 sayings. So it's quite a few sayings, very profound. You can't read a book like this one or two days or even a week. You have to kind of read it, reflect over it, and, and really benefit from it. It's amazing. For example, in one place he says, uh, don't, uh, if you've raised your hands for prayer, then know that Allah, if He's allowed you to raise your hands in prayer, then know that He wants to give you something. Like, where would you think of that from? Another one is that when you do a good deed, don't, it's sufficient as a reward for you that He chose you to do the good deed in the first place. You see how it just totally switches the way you look at deeds. You know, when we do deeds, when we help out somewhere and we feel a bit arrogant, we feel a bit ostentatious, showing off, I did it. So just thinking about it this way will just sort all of that out. To just imagine that, you know, I did the deed, yes, but you gave me the tawfiq to do the deed, otherwise I would not have been able to do it. That just totally diffuses the, the problem with ikhlas. Now you can have, it's easier to have ikhlas now. That's why I just really love his work. <clears throat> So that's why we, there's a great Maulana Khalil Ahmad Sahanampuri of the Indian subcontinent, has the Sheikh Zakaria's teacher and Sheikh. He got another one of his students, Sheikh Abdullah Gangohi, his name was, to write a commentary on this book. And because Maulana Khalil Ahmad Sahanampuri had translated the hikam themselves in Urdu, he wanted somebody to do the commentary of it, so he got his student to do the commentary of it in Urdu. And that's seen among the Chishtis, is seen as a very high book. Ikmal al-Shiyam, Fi al Hikam. It's seen as a very high book in Tasawwuf. So, Alhamdulillah, uh, about 
nearly eight to nine years ago, we had the opportunity to publish this nice English translation uh, in, in English. So I'm going to let me read the first one to you. He says, لا تستغرب وقوع الأكدار ما دمت في هذه الدار لا تستغرب وقوع الأكدار ما دمت في هذه الدار فإنها ما أبرزت إلا ما هو مستحق ما هو مستحق وصفها وواجب نعتها فإنها ما أبرزت إلا ما هو مستحق وصفها وواجب نعتها So in English Think over this. So long as you are in this world, be not surprised at the existence of sorrows, griefs, anxieties, and sorrows. Don't be surprised by them. As long as you're in this world. For truly, the world manifests nothing but what is in keeping with its character or its inevitable nature. Basically, <clears throat> he's preparing us for one of the biggest lessons of life. One of the pursuits of human beings is to have the ultimate comfort and luxury in this world. And there's no, nothing wrong with having ease in life, facilitation in life, smoothness in life, predictability in life. Right? There's nothing wrong with that because if you want to be successful, even for the sake of the hereafter, then having smoothness and ease and everything in its right place is just good management. There's nothing wrong with that. But to have ultimate comfort where if something does go wrong, you get really angry, you get agitated, you have no patience, you sit back and you start complaining and you lose time, then that means you haven't recognized the world. You're trying to make it what it's not. Because it's only Jannat and Paradise where everything will go perfectly. You will never fall down and scrape your knees. Do you scrape your knees in this world? Sometimes you fall down, you get a bit hurt, right? In paradise, that will never happen. <clears throat> but in this world, it happens. Should you cry about it? No. Because it's happened now. Why are you going to cry over it? Can you change it if you cry? Sorry, just for the sister, there's some children here. I'm speaking to them as well. Just in case you're wondering. So, because when people sit in you, you have to make them all feel welcome. And hopefully they can all benefit. Right? So, if you guys don't understand something, tell me, okay? So, that's what he's saying. He's saying that, look, understand the nature of the world is that there will be difficulties. There will be sorrows. So, the best person is the one who doesn't get surprised by this. For example, uh, do you guys buy... Uh, I can't ask the sisters because I can't get a response, but do you guys buy gifts for your wives like flowers or something? Do you guys do that here? Is that a tradition? Mullah Ahmadnaz. Okay. Now imagine if you were to buy the same flowers every week, predictably, right? Every week. You were to take the same flowers and give them every week. Like, here you go. This is your weekly, what I must do. How's, how are they going to feel? Huh? Disappointed, right? They're like, oh, this is just a ritual. Oh, those flowers are going to, same flowers are going to come again, right? That's why they say that in a gift, what actually makes the gifts special is what? The element of surprise. The element of surprise. Now, yes, if every week you go to a different place to buy different flowers and you really like think 
very carefully and you find the nice orchids and then so on and so forth um, and then you take those there's going to be a, an anticipation so an element of surprise is a major issue in life that's why the Prophet ﷺ actually sought protection from <clears throat> the sudden death sudden misfortune one is that <clears throat> you know you've seen <clears throat> sorry <clears throat> you've seen the misfortunes uh, no you've seen the signs that something's happening right there's a downpour coming or there's uh, some issue coming up you're, you're you're preparing for it then when it just suddenly comes up that's worse fuja'atu sharr in arabic fuja'atu sharr the sudden evil that, that comes up it's much worse than where you know it's coming you can deal with it but when it's good things the suddenness actually makes it better the suddenness actually makes it better you are one is you are half expecting a gift so half anticipation is already there then you get the gift so it's good but you already had half anticipated but where it's suddenly somebody gave you a gift where you never expected it and that's amazing. So anticipation is a really big human factor. That's what we deal with anticipation and surprise. That element really, really influences the way we do things, the way we feel about things. Think about it now. So if you know there's going to be difficulty, like another example, when you're going somewhere for the first time, and then you return from it. Which one is shorter? The going or the coming back? The coming back. It's like, it took me so long to get there. And when we come back, it's so easy. It's the same path you took, same road. Have you noticed that sometimes? It's because in the first one, there was anticipation. There was surprise. I don't know. Unawareness. Right? Ignorance. And that just lengthens everything. And when you're coming back, you know exactly where you're going, so it's just faster. It's, it's ajeeb how this thing impacts the human being. I mean, this is on a Saturday morning, it's becoming of a psychology lecture. Right? So I apologize for that. But psych psychology is built in our religion, especially in our worship, it, it matters. So what the Shaykh is saying here, essentially, very simply, is that look, difficulties will come in your life. Do not ever think that your life will be without difficulty. Imagine if somebody's got a business class ticket or you go for a business class Hajj, you know, five star hotels and everything. Your five stars are only restricted to your hotel room and maybe until the lobby and until you come out. But once you're outside, then you're like everybody else. Your five stars have gone. Maybe you're a bit closer, but otherwise it's all the same once you get inside. The must, you can't show your... Uh, Darul Hijra intercontinent no what is it Darul Tawheed intercontinental pass to the the, the the policeman at the at the you know once they've closed the masjid and say look I'm five star I can go in you can't do that so difficulty is inevitable and that's exactly what he's saying he's basically saying that uh, that's the nature of this world to have difficulties that it's built like this is built to have problems for example the system is built to have viruses 
which would be a very bad system if you had a computer system like this. But uh, so, do not be surprised at the occurrence of difficulties and misfortunes as long as you're in the world because the world is only doing what it's created for. Its nature is what Allah has built it like that. If I ask any of the married people, have you, have you, do you know anybody, including yourself, who've never had a problem in marriage? Even a minor problem. If anybody carries up, there's always issues, right, in marriage, even small. Even the Prophet had issues, can you believe it? In fact, on one occasion, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, 29, 30 days he left his home and stayed in a loft. Umar was wondering, has he divorced his wives? So there will be issues. The person who is the best in the world in that regard is the one who can deal with issues. So they don't take him down because this is the biggest complaint. The people, why people are not clinically depressed, but the people are generally depressed. Clinical depression sometimes is a bit of a separate issue. I want to make that clear. Sometimes a clinical depression is a, an issue with an imbalance in the mind or something else, a mental health problem. And uh, you need some other things to deal with those things whereas sometimes the, the common depression issue is generally about not being able to deal with one's challenges not being able to deal with difficulties trying to make the best out of a difficulty and manage it so this is what Shaykh Abdullah Gangohi says he says as long as you are in the world do not be surprised at difficulties misfortunes and sorrow while you are in this earthly abode, do not feel surprised if the clouds of contamination and difficulty settle over you. An amazing and surprising event is something that is not expected to transpire. Sorry, let me see this again. An amazing and surprising event is something that cannot be expected to happen. That's what makes it surprising or amazing because you didn't expect it. If you expected something to be a certain way, it can't be amazing in that extreme sense of the word. Regarding the misfortunes and calamities of this world, nothing surprising ever happens. But no, we are saying, of course, it's always surprising. I didn't expect this. This was surprising. It's surprising to you because you haven't understood the nature of the world. If you understand the nature of the world, there is nothing surprising. For example, let's just say you've got a business class ticket. You get to the airport and there's a malfunction with the, flight, uh, with the plane, some technical problem. So you have to wait for four hours. Right? Outside, you know, maybe in the lounge, whatever. And then you get on the flight, you have the flight, alhamdulillah, you get off at the other end. <clears throat> and now there's a malfunction in opening the cargo door. So you have to wait another one hour, one and a half hours to get your luggage. You were supposed to on business class, your, your luggage should have come straight away. It was supposed to, but now what are you going to do? Jump up and down, get angry. What are you going to do? Is that going to make it faster? Right. So that's why the surprise element, sorry, the difficulty element, it's, it's Allah wants it for a certain reason. Once I was riding my back, bike back home from uh, Madrasa, from teaching, and one of the biggest, those who ride bikes, uh, bicycles, you will know that one of the biggest challenges in bike riding is uh, of course rain makes it very muddy and all that but actually worse than that is the wind 
If there's a strong gust of wind, you can't even get anywhere. You're, you're pedaling and it's not going anywhere. So I generally I get home in about 17, 18 minutes. And this time I just can't pedal. So I'm getting a bit aggravated. I want to get home. You know, I've been teaching, I'm tired. And then suddenly I just remember that, you know what? This wind is from Allah. It just does as Allah wishes. There must be a reason that Allah wants me to get home a bit, a bit uh, later today. So it, it, it just makes your life easier. You know when you are in front of a difficulty that you did not create. It's coming from another place. And you just think, well, that's what Allah wanted from you. This is the nature of the world. You just suddenly, you just suddenly relax. Like, what can I do? What can I do? Of course, if you create the difficulty yourself, you do have your own self to blame, right? I'm not saying that you create difficulty and say, oh man, it's okay. You know, do not create difficulties. Do not create inconveniences and aggravations to people between husband and wife, for example, between co-workers, colleagues, and, and other people. But if a difficulty comes about that was not, you do sabr. Now, in terms of that, they say that if a difficulty comes upon you, your reaction will determine the nature of that difficulty. This is very interesting. If a difficulty and a challenge comes to you, how you react will depend on how good or bad it is. So, if a difficulty happens or something unnerving happens and you get really agitated and you start complaining, then this is a punishment. Because when you start complaining, you're agitating yourself again. So it's a punishment from Allah. If, you, if it reminds you of sins, that, oh, you know what? I think I know why this happened. I know why I got a ticket driving fast. I did, I, I, I did something I wasn't supposed to. Immediately you make the connection. This is Allah way, Allah's way of making us atone. So we're like, Astaghfirullah, Allah forgive me, Allah forgive me. This is for purification. This calamity was for purification. The first one was for punishment. This one was for purification. Right? Any more? There's another one. Right? There's one more. If our reaction is that, you know what? This is from Allah. And He's got some wisdom in there. I'm going to do sabr. Perseverance. I, I, I'm thinking of a sin. I can't think of a sin. I make a bit of tawbah, but really, I think this is just Allah wants it this way. This is for raf'u darajat elevation of your status. So any difficulty that comes upon you, it's either for punishment, or it's for purification of sins, or it's for elevation and uh, making you higher in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you know the Prophet ﷺ, when he's having all of that difficulty, he's had lots of difficulty throughout life. But you know that especially the difficulty on his deathbeds, when even Fatima radiallahu anha is saying, Wa karba aba, right? Whoa, oh, what the pain of my father. And he was saying, La karba ala abika ba'da al No pain on your father after this day. This is the final pain. Why did he have to go through this pain at the end? One of them is to, obviously, for ta'alimul ummah, to teach the ummatis that if your Prophet can go through this, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, then who are you guys? Another one is, the ulama have mentioned that if Allah wants to send you up high and there's not enough time for deeds or you can't do the deeds, then the fastest promotion and 
upgrade is by through difficulties. Because sabr, the, the, the price and the value of sabr is huge. Sabr is sometimes holds greater reward than doing some nafal deeds. That's why Allah puts through difficulty, gives you the ability to do sabr, and thus you get higher up in the sight of Allah. That's related to the last one, you know, the last rafu'ud darajat. So now next time a difficulty comes upon us, just see how we react. You won't be able to tell at that time because you'll spontaneously re react. You'll start getting very angry or whatever, especially if you're a person who gets angry quickly about everything anyway. And even though uh, sometimes a person gets angry on the person in front of them, especially on close family members, even though they had nothing to do with it, he starts blaming them. Why didn't you do it? Actually, it was your f they, they can't say it was your fault because, you know, uh, it's one of those dynamics in those cases. So, so once you calm down, then think back. What happened? Uh, what was, was this a punishment for me? And that's how we'll be able to train ourselves that the next time we'll be more careful, inshallah. And as we get closer to Allah, then the reasoning for that will, will change as well. Because even the awliya, they have difficulties. The Prophet sallallahu difficulties as well. Difficulty is the nature of this world. It's like saying that I'm going to go from here to... What's that beach place called? Maracus. Maracus. And I want it to be highway. Not a bump on the road. I don't want any ups and downs. Now, does that exist? I mean, can you, you can't do it. That's in, impossible. So you're asking for the impossible. Right? That, that is something... Because I had a bit of a shoulder ache, I, I know how it felt yesterday. That's why coming back when I got the pinched nerve. So every up and down was, mashallah, you know, sabr. So now, if I want to be crazy and think, no, I need it to be straight. I'm asking for the... Now, that's a possibility if, mashallah, if they do make the road very... That's a possibility in this world. But difficulty is being removed from everything you do in this world. That's an impossibility. That's the nature of the world that's going to happen. Just like the nature of the trip there is going to include some bumps. Right now, anyway. So, that's basically... Um, then he says, you the traveler should also understand that the blessings, no sorry, uh, <clears throat> contamination, pollution, difficulties are the natural and necessary characteristics of the world since Allah Most High has created it as a trial and a test to distinguish between the patient and the impatient, and between the grateful and the ungrateful. That's what it and there's a huge reward for shukr and for sabr. And the opposite is obviously blameworthy. <clears throat> Just one more thing. In the next one he says, إِنَّمَا جَعَلَ الدَّارَ الْآخِرَةَ مَحَلًّا لِجَزَاءِ عِبَادِهِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِنَّمَا جَعَلَ الدَّارَ الْآخِرَةَ مَحَلًّا لِجَزَاءِ عِبَادِهِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ لِأَنَّ هَذِهِ الدَّارِ لَا تَسَعُ مَا يُرِيدُ أَنْ يُعْطِيَهُمْ وَلِأَنَّهُ أَجَلَّ أَقْدَارَهُمْ عَنْ أَنْ يُجَازِيَهُمْ فِي دَارٍ لَا بَقَاءَ لَهَا What that means is, he made the hereafter an abode to reward his believing servants. So why did Allah create the hereafter? He could have had just this world and put us all to death afterwards and he would have been as the atheists say, no hereafter. You live only once in this world and khalas is finished. But no, he had this second phase. 
So he made this hereafter an abode to reward his believing servants. Why? Only because this world cannot contain what he wishes to bestow upon them. This world is too limited. It's too short. It's too restricted to give what he wants to really give us. And because he deemed their worth too high to reward them in a world without permanence. So this world is too restricted quantitatively and qualitatively for what he really wants to give us. The worship that you do, despite all the distractions and the attractions of the world, is so valuable in the sight of Allah. You're sitting here today on this Saturday morning when you could have been doing so many other things. You sisters and brothers sitting here today are a minority of the people that could have been here. And you're actually a more significant, a, a, a more minority of the larger population that could have been in a masjid this morning learning about Allah and His deen. Allah values this so much that He gives you a bit of the reward of this in this world but the bigger reward he's created a special place for you to get that reward because this world in a quality quality perspective is too limited the kind of beauty he wants to give you this world cannot even have it he wants to give you fruits that every bite you take is a different flavor and a different experience what's your favorite fruit Oh, you don't have one. You don't have one. Do you have a favorite fruit? No. You guys boring or what, man? What's Molana, what's your favorite fruit? Can't say that again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Somebody. Let's say mangoes. Mango is your favorite fruit. You know, if you your mangoes, like at the end of the day, how many mangoes can you get, eat at one time without? Maybe I'm asking the wrong person, but. <laughs> But how many mangoes can you eat before you get tired of those mangoes? Maybe two. Two, okay, chill out. I thought you were going to say five, right? Two. You love the mango, you're waiting for the season, you get the mango and then you have two of them and you're finished. I can't have any. Please, here's another one. No, I can't have it. Th that's another human nature is to get bored. That's why Ibn Ata'illah says that Allah knows that humans get bored quickly with the same thing. That's why لَوَّنَ لَكَ الطَّاعَاتِ he made the obediences in various different types for you. So you get sick of, uh, you get a bit tired of standing and praying. So then you sit and do dhikr, you do duru sharif, salawat. Otherwise you do muraqaba, you do something else. You got many, many ways like in itikaf, you can do different things. So this world is too limited. Allah wants to be, Allah has prepared for you a fruit. One apple, one mango, you take one bite, it gives you a certain experience, a certain pleasure. You have the next one, an element of surprise again. You have another flavor that you never thought about before. And you have the third bite and it's another flavor. Can you imagine that? This world is too limited for that. It's the nature of this world cannot accommodate this. That's in paradise. Otherwise you think that you're gonna get, otherwise if you think of the paradise as this world, you'll actually think that, how, how am I gonna live there forever? You know why? Because uh, you know these big companies today, like uh, these big tech companies like PayPal. The guy who, uh, uh, one of the main founders of PayPal and so on, they've made so much money that they don't know what to do with their money. Them, Google and others. 
So some of these big guys, they're putting their extra money in two research places. One is space exploration. So like Virgin and uh, the Tesla guy, Bezos, they've put it into space exploration. Before that was something only countries would be doing. Now private people are doing this. Huge amounts of money, right? And the second place which is not heard about so much, which you don't read about much, is in something very interesting. Longevity. Right? Living for longer or forever. Huge amounts of money. The problem is that there's a whole study on the psychology of this, on living forever. You think, okay, if I can live for, imagine you were to die at the age of 70 and you were given 10 years extra. That seem a lot. But imagine if you were going to live to 200 or you were going to live forever. Just think, just spend a moment and think, if I was going to live forever, would I have any zeal in life? You know, would I have any urgency? There's going to be no surprise element anymore. See how important the surprise element is. They're saying that people will get tired, probably get depressed, like, I need to go, I'm, I'm done, you know? Subhanallah. So, people might think living longer and is, is actually something praiseworthy. It's only praiseworthy if you've done the deeds. But if you've done the deeds, then people like Ghazali who died at 55, Shafi'i who died at 54, uh, others who died at 43 and left their mark on this world, time doesn't matter. The Prophet only lasted 63 years, stayed in this world 63 years. You don't need, if Barakah is in your life, you can have a very short amount of time. So, this world is too limited. And the other, the other thing is that it's too short. So then when people think about this, they think that hereafter I'm going to get bored. But no, Allah has designed in a way you can't get bored. And this is a world that Allah has designed so you can't rest. There's going to be agitation, there's going to be bumps in the road. Because He wants you to be reminded, these difficulties are a reminder that your real place of comfort in the hereafter, focus on that. So this is what He says, Allah Most High has fixed the abode of the next world for rewarding the deeds of His believing servants. He did not establish this world for this purpose. And there are two wisdoms in this choice of Allah. Firstly, this world does not contain the rewards, the quality of the rewards that He desires for His servants. According to the hadith, the extent of the paradise that the lowest ranking believer will receive will be a distance of 700 years. You could travel around it for 700 years and you might finally... The last person out of hellfire, the famous hadith in Bukhari, Muslim, etc. Last person out of hellfire, the biggest sinner to have ever lived in this world from all, from time of Adam until now. When he gets out and he gets the space of uh, 10 times the world, you can imagine there's a lot of real estate up there. Right? There's a lot of real estate. So this world is just too limited. Allah wants to give you bigger than this world. This world is too much. You've got 7 billion people or 8 billion people right now. How is Allah going to give you so he's got another world for it. Lots of real estate to give you as much as you want. Another hadith states that the paradise of the Muslim entering, in, uh, entering into paradise last will be equal to 10 times the size of the earth. This vastness is in regard to the quantity and size. 
Even in terms of quality, this world does not contain the rewards of a believer. This world is full of pollution, while the rewards of the hereafter are pure and holy. According to one hadith, just one bangle of a hur, of a hur, of paradise, if it appeared on the earth, the glitter of that bangle would overshadow the light of the sun and moon. That's amazing. Forget the hur for now. Don't get too agitated about the hur for now. Talking to the women, right? Let's talk about the bangle. The bangle, just the bangle is going to be much more interesting and glittering than the sun and the moon. So just imagine everything else. The believer should never forget the hereafter because of becoming too involvement in the bounties of this world. Neither should he regard worldly hardships as misfortunes as such pleasures are being prepared there for him that would never have crossed his mind and all of the difficulties of the world will be well worth it if we've done it right. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for tawfiq, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for grace, we ask Allah for patience uh, in the right way at the right time and we ask Allah to raise our status. Once Imam Abu Yusuf rahmatullahi was sitting on the mimbar at the top and somebody asked him a question. So he said, I don't know. He said, how can you sit in this place, right, high place like this, and you say you don't know, like you should know. He said, I'm sitting here according to my knowledge. If I sat according to my ignorance, I'd be sitting up in the sky. So there's nothing wrong with saying I don't know. It's, uh, you know, subhanAllah, especially for ulama, if we can learn to say I don't know, you get liberated. I, I'm never fearful of any question anymore. Because if I don't know it, I just say I don't know. And it's not embarrassing. Because you can't know everything. Like, be honest, like, you can't know everything. So alhamdulillah, it's not a problem. Right? And uh, okay, so how many women, how many women increase in piety when one's husband may be posing an obstacle through his own ideas and practices and also keep love and obedience to one's husband? How may women, okay, how may women increase in piety? Oh, I see. Allah's given you a husband to increase your piety, it looks like. If he's giving you all this disturbance and everything, I'm not saying he's doing the right thing. He'll be punished for giving you difficulty, right? See, this is the way to look at it. A tsunami hits, may Allah forbid. Some people in there, it's a punishment for them. They were bad people, Allah punished them. There's also some people in there, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just took them out of the misery of the world. They were struggling. Allah gave them shahadat because when you die, something like this, shahadat. Mukhtasaru tariqil jannah. It's the shortest path to paradise. So, can you see how one thing is different, uh, works differently for different people? So, from the husband's perspective, he, like, I'm only hearing your side of the story, right? So, I will only answer you according to your explanation that your husband is doing all the oppressing and the difficulty and the problem. I can only answer you based on what you tell me, right? Because I'm not speaking to your husband. So, all I can say is that if you're correct in what you're saying, then your husband is going to be wrong and punished and he will have to deal with it unless he makes amends. But for you now, you have to look at the pros and cons of each of your situation. Firstly, if you're going to remain and make sabr and patience, then you're being rewarded for that. And that's exactly what we've been saying, that the difficulty, you should understand difficulty, I mean, it doesn't mean that just because difficulty is inevitable that you must have every difficulty. You shouldn't be looking for difficulty. Because you should be asking Allah for afiyat.
You need to try to get yourself out of difficulty, you know, and try to make amends, maybe through counseling or whatever the case is. But to answer the question, um, how may a woman increase in piety? First and foremost, understand where the difficulty is coming from. That Allah put you into this situation. As soon as you, th you bring Allah into the picture and you deal with it in the right way, you start getting rewarded. Because if you didn't think that, you'd still be in difficulty, but you'd be more miserable. But as soon as you think that, okay, Allah puts me in, He chose this situation for me, and uh, it's happening now, I must seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's assistance. Use this as a means to get closer to Allah. I have a lot of this aggravation in my life and I cry a lot. What we basically tell them is that if you can cry, then rather than cry over the difficulties, cry to Allah for, re for release. Cry to Allah for respite. So you're just channeling your emotions in the right way in that case. Now remember, I'm only giving you an answer of how to make this a source of value in the sight of Allah. You didn't ask me, how do I get out of this situation? That would be a different answer from a practical perspective. Because I'm assuming that it's, you're in like checkmate position, right? If you understand chess, um, you're in a, like a bind. I get, I get, there's one woman, I get a call from her every one and a half to two years. And it's the same problem, but she doesn't. So she's got a situation that her husband, they, they have not much communication. But the way I generally tell women to deal with these issues is that you take a piece of paper and you write down all of your options in a genuine, sincere way. Like, okay, this is one option, this is an option. And then you write the pros and cons of each option. And then you make a istikhara and you decide what option you want to take. Some options you won't want to take for whatever reason. It's up to you. Nobody can tell you which option to take. I can't tell a woman you need to get out of a marriage. Nobody can tell you that, right? Unless you're being abused, then it may be necessary for somebody to say, look, you need to get out of this marriage, right? Otherwise, you have to make your own choice. But while you're making your own choice or whatever the difficulty is, you have to strengthen your state with Allah. And you'd be surprised sometimes. If you strengthen yourself with Allah, your difficulties will either become easier to deal with. Because sometimes it may be an overreaction. Remember a difficulty when it doesn't have the surprise element and you know it's inevitable. One is it doesn't, you know the difficulty is going to come, but the other one is you know why it's going to come. There's two levels to this. If you know the difficulty is going to come, but you're not happy for it, then you're going to be, it's going to be difficult. But if you know the difficulty is coming and, uh, and uh, you know why the difficulty is coming or you think that it's up to Allah, then suddenly it becomes easier to deal with that difficulty because you know you're in Allah. Lots of women, they've just gone through a divorce, for example or they're going through difficulties. One of the reasons why they feel even more aggravated is because they have no connection with Allah. So shaitan makes it even, shaitan is always looking, looking. So if you're getting bullied, shaitan will make the bully feel worse. That's his job, to make you just feel more miserable and create despondency. So that's why when we give some dhikr to uh, people in this state, and they do two, three weeks of dhikr, they're suddenly much stronger in the way they deal with things. And half of their psychological problem with the issue is diminished. Half the psychological problem with the issue, they feel stronger. They feel n no longer so helpless. And that, that's, uh, that's what I would suggest is that you just understand where it's coming from. 
And I'll have to be I'll have to hurry up because there's quite a few questions. How important is it to take beta from Sheikh? Girl, woman. You'll you'll have to write in English if you don't mind, and not in Trini, because I'm having trouble with this. Okay, how to take a Sheikh from a beta living? Uh, sorry, how to take beta from a Sheikh living here in Trinidad? How to make keep contact? You'll have to ask the Sheikh themselves if it's you know because they every Sheikh has a different tertib. Every Sheikh has a different uh, methodology in the way they do things. The benefit of a sheikh is, is, very, is, is a lot because what you then finally have is somebody who can kind of supervise. The benefit is feeling when you're going to take a course on science or on mathematics or whatever, you can train yourself, you can read all the books yourself, but very, 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 very few people have the ability to be disciplined enough to keep uh, punctual on this and see it through. That's why we have the whole concept of shuyukh. Sheikhs and bayah. The bayah is just a pledge. So he makes commitment to you, you make a commitment to the sheikh. Now different sheikhs have different tartibs. Some, they would want you to stay in touch maybe once a week, once every two weeks, once a month and tell them your spiritual station, situation. Uh, some will tell you, give you some dhikr and say, just contact me if there's an issue. Some want to micromanage and they want to know everything you do. That can get a bit complicated. Especially, you know, if you're married and... Or even, you know, they, it, that can get complicated. Just the logistics of it can... Uh, because you have to pass everything through the sheikh. Sometimes the murid is... Uh, the, the student is looking for a sheikh as a personal advisor. So every minute they're calling up the sheikh. And this has happened and this has happened and this... And the sheikh doesn't have that much time. So you have lots of dynamics. So you... Firstly, you should just find a sheikh that you can relate to. That's very important. Mawlana Shavi writes that con conduciveness, uh, being able to relate, them to be able to relate to you, it's very important. Then of course being men and women because of the, uh, the intergender dynamics, you have to be very careful uh, because shaitan is always around. So that, that's, that's another aspect of that that you have to be careful about so that there's no uh, potential for problems. How do you keep in contact? It's up to your sheikh. Sometimes they'll want that you just call them. Some will say email. Some will say contact my wife. Or some will say tell your husband to contact me for your situation. It just depends on the sheikh. So you have to see how it is and then you have to ask the questions. It's completely fair to ask any practical questions of a sheikh before you take bayah. That look, these are my questions and how would this work? And it's completely fair questions to ask. Then you just take whatever is most appropriate for you. Advice on how to be consistent in daily ma'mulat. That's uh, Allah help us with that one. I, I think from a practical perspective, what they say that when you do something seven times, or 21 times, I forget the exact number. They've done a study on this. How do you introduce something new into your life uh, that is not always so enjoyable, but you must do it. If it's something very enjoyable, you'd like to do it every moment. Watch YouTube, Netflix all day. Right? That, that's, that, that people do easily. So nobody's going to ask that question. How do I see more? You know, how do I watch more? There's nobody asking that question. Generally, the question is about there's something important that I must do, study, 
dhikr or whatever. So they've done studies. And I think they say that if you can do something for, I forget the number of exact days, 18 or 21 or something like that. If you can do something for 21 days regularly, then it will become part of your life. Because what's happened is that right now, every moment of your day is kind of already accounted for. You're doing something. So when you have to start to do dhikr, you're competing with something else. And doing dhikr, the shaitan is there to uh, detract you. So it's not as enjoyable if you do 10 minutes of dhikr. Have you seen how long the time takes? And if you're on one hour on YouTube, which is goes faster? One hour on YouTube or the 10 minutes in dhikr? So, the, one of the best ways I found is that you set r small reasonable goals. So, don't think forever for now. Think for the next one week. In this one week, I'm going to do this every day. It's a very easily achievable goal. Seven days. One day, two days, three days. Okay, I miss one day. Well, seven days. And then you make it like that. So, Ibn Atayullah says, well, initially you need to force your nafs to accept this new guest into your daily routine. But once it's happened for 18, 20 days, then you would have already adjusted everything else and you would have realized that I'm not missing too much time with other things. I'm not losing anything. So then that would become easier. For example, if you're stingy and you can't give too much sadaqah, one day you give hundred dollars it was difficult for you to do that because when you feel like hundred dollars I'm gonna feel a sense of loss and this that and the other you gave it is hundred a lot how much is hundred okay let's say 50 then you start with 50 you give 50 but after a few days you realize that actually I'm happy I didn't become poor I didn't struggle I didn't have to go and beg can you see now that you'll the next time 50 will be easier that's how you have to build yourself slowly. That's a practical solution. The spiritual is that you ask Allah at the same time. Oh Allah, make me regular on this. Make me regular on this. But then you're going to think, well, how am I going to ask Allah each time? Because that in itself requires discipline to ask Allah. So it's going to be never ending otherwise. That's why having a shaykh is good because the shaykh will say, next week I want to hear from you how many days you did dhikr for. So when you've got somebody to be accountable to, it makes it beneficial. Uh, when is Mufti Saab coming back to do a marriage workshop? Um, uh, maybe next year. Inshallah. When Allah brings us, inshallah. Our divorce rate, especially in young Muslim women, very high. Advice for these women. Um, I think one of these bayans we're going to do, we'll, we'll uh, devote it to marriage. It won't be a marriage workshop, it'll just be a one-hour talk on marriage. I think one of the big reasons for divorce or ease of divorce is the breakdown of the society, the community. Before you knew you had to make this marriage work. Before you knew you had to make the marriage work. So both invested more into it. And there's lots of times when in a marriage difficulty comes about and you make it a big deal that oh this requires a divorce. Even though there's a solution, but you're not willing to make the effort to find a solution. Now I know like there are many cases where you've tried every solution, it's just not going to work. We have that as well. But in many cases, that's the case. 
Uh, also, what I'm noticing, in, especially in Western countries, now I don't know where Trinidad because I haven't known enough about it, but in our countries, because if you're divorced, the government will help you. If you're a single mother, you get helped. It's quite a luxury life, except you don't have a husband, but you, is a, there's a luxury life. Not luxury, but they, you get paid and so on. So I've had women come to me and say, I'm in such a situation that I'd rather be alone. Let me just get out of this situation. I don't even want to work at it. Because I can look after myself. Before, that would never, never be the case. Women generally did not have their own money. They had, didn't have that autonomy. The community didn't agree with it either. But nowadays, because prosperity is a bigger thing, I'm not blaming it directly that that is the direct cause, but that obviously creates a certain environment. There's a feeling of independence, less dependence, and so on and so forth. So that's just in brief. Um, Can you ask Sheikh how to get kids to be obedient and focused? These are, should we do the bayan tomorrow night for that one? <laughs> Mashallah, these are all big, big, huge topics. So just briefly at least. I, I think I would blame the parents. <laughs> these kids are getting excited for some reason. At the end of the day, unless your child has a psychological problem, sometimes there's an issue, they're just naturally something different. Otherwise, it's all about how the parents behave, the example they set, because children imitate, at least until the age of seven, they're just imitating. Right? And, you know, I would wonder, like, what did I do wrong that my child is like this? But deep down, I know what it is. Right? And I've realized that sometimes if I'm not straight, then I've seen the effect on my children. And this is, the Akabir have mentioned this as well. There's an effect. So uh, I guess you didn't expect this answer, right? But big part of it is the way the parents are. Children are 90% at least a reflection of their parents. As I said, there are probably 10% 10, 10 uh, factor of uh, outside influence. But even outside influence is governed by the parents because why are you allowing them to have that outside influence? Sometimes your hands are tied, you can't help it. Uh, you've got such close family members and maybe somebody else doesn't have very good akhlaq and you can't isolate your children either. There are, you know, there are excuses in this as well, some excuses. But that's the big thing. Number two, one of the big issues I think is we need to learn to teach our children to fear Allah for themselves as opposed to fearing us we need to make them God conscious give them taqwa from a young age and that is by explaining why we do things the way we do it as opposed to look you must just do this or you can't do this we must speak to them so why do you have to sleep early at night do you have to sleep at a certain time at night you have a time right do you know why you have to sleep at that time or you think it's unfair Right, so you need to explain why. Because if you don't sleep by that time, you won't get enough sleep, then you won't grow. Do you want to grow tall like this? Then you need to sleep. Right? So the more quality sleep you have before 12 o'clock, the more healthy you become. The more fresh you become. Now that's obviously a worldly aspect. But 
for our prayer as well. Why should we pray? We want our children to pray. Why should we pray? A friend of mine, he's not an Adim or anything, but he used to explain children very beautifully. He said, have you got an auntie who gives you a lot of gifts? Everybody has one of those aunties, right? So when you go to her house, she only likes to give you something, right? But then she gives you a hug and everything as well. Now imagine if you go to their house and you don't say assalamu alaikum to her, you don't greet her properly, and then you just go and run to play with your cousins. And you do that once, the next time you go, you again ignore your auntie. She's calling you, come here, but you you just want to go and play. How's your auntie going to feel? She going to feel upset? So, you see what I'm saying? She's going to feel upset, right? So Allah gives us all of these things. And we keep ignoring Him. We don't pray to Him because He's given us all of these wonderful things. So you have to explain. You have to make the deen a reality for our children. And I think that God consciousness. For example, my kid, he goes to school and the school doesn't... He's 12, year, he's 12 years old now. So he goes to high school. Uh, so they don't have a proper prayer room. So he has to kind of ask the teacher or find a place to pray for the heart. But one thing is when he comes home and we ask him, did you pray? He'll, he won't lie. That I'm, if he comes and says, I didn't pray today, I'm not going to be as angry as if he said, I prayed and he hadn't prayed. Do you understand? So Alhamdulillah, he comes on and says, no, I couldn't pray. When he comes back from Madrasa, did you know your lesson? He never says, if he hasn't, if he, if he didn't know it, he won't lie and say, I knew it. But you'll know that he didn't know it by, he won't give you a straightforward answer. He'll say, oh, this, uh, the, and now you know. My wife once said to him, you're lying. I heard it from the other room. Later, I called my wife and said, don't call him a liar. He doesn't lie. And if you call him a liar, he'll think it's okay to be a liar. Psychologically, this plays a big part. Right? I, I said, don't call him a liar. He said, I didn't call him a liar. I said, no, you said yesterday. He said, you're a liar. Or you're lying, you said. Don't say that because he's not lying. He tells the truth, but he just tries to avoid it. Because when you start calling your children bad things, then they more easily become those bad things. There's a lot of psychology to this. And culturally, we have certain things we say to our children, which are actually harmful, that we shouldn't say. We should examine everything that we say to our children because it's very, very necessary to think about that. Um, what is the best way to increase in yaqeen of the hereafter? Allahu Akbar, may Allah increase us in yaqeen. Several things to understand the nature of this world and the nature of the hereafter. And to realize that death is inevitable. Death is one of the most powerful factors in removing too many vain hopes in the dunya. Death. Because when you know you're going to die and you see people dying at younger age as well, everybody has a general idea in their mind, I'm gonna, I've got this many years left. If I'm 40 right now or 45, I think, okay, maybe I've got another 25 years left. But we don't know that. There's people who die at younger age. So don't go, go by what you think you have. 
but go by the fact that death is definite and it will come and I can't change it the last minutes even if I'm gonna die at 70 and that's my prediction I can't mess around until 69 and then in one year I change everything because the older you get the less flexible you become to change by will unless a big event happens that forces you to change but you don't know if that's gonna happen so the thinking of death is one of the most powerful factors to curb desires as well the other thing is to recite the Quran with meaning reflection take a good translation um, in English we have what do you guys use in English here the noble Quran whose is that Hilalis oh yeah the Mu yeah Mufti Taqi's one is decent the Ma'arif al-Quran uh, there's a translation of Tasir Usmani as well Professor Abdul Halim has got an Oxford published translation that's decent as well there's several good translations get a good translation and a tafsir and just read through there and just sit and reflect and see the stories of the past and you'll see in there yaqeen 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 ask Allah for yaqeen there's du'as for yaqeen of conviction and ultimately just to get to know Allah better and to do his dhikr and, you'll, and your yaqeen inshallah will improve so the dhikr uh, getting to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more and muraqabatul uh, maut meditation on death as well sit for five minutes every day or every once in a while and just think what happens if I'm going to die tomorrow what do I need to do this helps to reorient ourselves inshallah alhamdulillah assalamu alaikum mufti alhamdulillah thank you for sharing your knowledge with us in your special way may Allah bless reward you please give me the name of the book please spell it inshallah oh that's probably the book of wisdoms so it's called the Book of Wisdoms, right? Uh, the Book of Wisdoms by Ibn Atail al-Iskandari and it's available through White Thread Press, uh, whitethreadpress.com. Uh, if you're trying to get close to Allah, but your environment is challenging your growth, but your environment cannot be changed right now, how does one make within themselves the right environment? Allahu Akbar, that's a good question. SubhanAllah. Allah make it easy. First, I'm going to give you a dua. Allahumma, uh, please read it with me. Allahumma rzuqna hubbak wa hubba man yanfa'una hubbuhu indak. This is a very powerful dua. Oh Allah, grant us your love and the love of those whose love will benefit us in your court. Slowly, slowly. We hope that this will give us good people around us that also love Allah. So our surrounding becomes conducive to the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes it's family members. I get, you get questions from people who have changed now. But their immediate family members, they will make fun of them and so on and so forth. Or you become a big wali of Allah, or you become this, or you become that. That's difficult. So the only person, the, the only... The only entity you can call on is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The biggest example I can provide you, the biggest role model I can provide you is from the Quran. At the end of Surah Al-Tahreem, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives an example of the strength of a believing person. And then he gives a contrasting example of the strength of the kufr or the evil of the kufr. 
So this, he talks about the, the wives of Nuh and Lut امرأة نوح وامرأة لوط كانتا تحت عبدين من عبادنا صالحين فخانتاهما فلم يغني عنهما من الله شيئا وقيل ادخل النار مع الداخلين and then Allah gives the example of the wife of Pharaoh so contrast this Nuh and Lut wives are in the homes of prophets Jibreel is coming special connection with Allah what better than a prophet in your house? Like, what more could you ask for? But it's like, well, it's not like that, but uh, Prince Harry running away from the royal family, I don't know, you know. Sometimes people think, oh, I wish I was a royal, but anyway, this case is a prophet. So unless you're really degenerated, you, you, you know, you, you, would, you would be enjoying that situation. But they were kafir. Both of these women, despite having the best environment anybody could ask for. Can you imagine it? What better environment than that? But they were kafir. So that, that, that's, think about this. Then you got Pharaoh's wife. Pharaoh is one of the worst people. Gone down in history in his entire notoriety. And not only is he, but he used to call himself God. I'm your highest Lord. Someone in that environment with a husband who is kafir, claimant to being a god and all the rest of it. And she becomes mentioned in the Quran for her piety and strength of Iman. So it tells you that why it is difficult if you, and Allah also mentions her dua to Allah. Oh Allah, make for me a abode for you in uh, for me in paradise by you. Uh, save me from the evil of my husband and his people uh, and uh, and the bad people. And Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gives her. so you will you will now you may not be able to escape the situation, but if Allah gives you the strength and the yaqeen and the conviction, Allah will just make it easy for you to deal with it. You will have to make some difficult decisions, no doubt. It won't always be easy. But again, this world was not supposed to be easy. And what's a bit of difficulty for the sake of the pleasure of the hereafter? So let your connection to Allah drive you. But for that, you need to have a dhikr regimen. I can't underscore enough the importance of dhikr in all of these cases. One of the biggest reasons for problems is you're not connected to Allah, so small, small things, bother you and make it worse than it is because remember the awliya la khawfan alayhim wa la hum yahzanun awliya also have difficulties but they just know how to deal with it there's a dua which I'll mention in the bayan of marriage but I'll mention it here rabbana hablana min azwajina wa dhurriyyatina qurrata a'yun waj'alna lil muttaqina imama our lord grant us from our spouses and from our progeny children etc until the day of judgment uh, I'm adding that part. Those that will be the gladness of our eyes. Uh, ulama mentioned that this is such a powerful dua that if you have a problem with your spouse, certain qualities you don't like, certain issues you don't like, and you keep reading this dua, it's a Quranic dua, it's a magical dua. Allah will either remove those problems from your spouse or He will make them so insignificant that you won't, they won't bother you anymore. 
So I would say make these du'as to Allah. Don't underestimate du'a and have a dhikr regimen. At least a hundred istighfar in the morning and evening. A hundred durood sharif in the morning and evening, salawat. A bit of Quran reading every day. And some muraqaba, meditation. Minimum. And la ilaha illallah. And inshallah you will see that this will make a difference. It will, if you've got a difficult family, Allah will make it easier for you, that's all. Because you can't divorce family. It's difficult. You can't stay away from them as well, too far. Right? Because we are social beings. Okay, so let's finish then. How, um, how, how have patience with your children when they make you angry? How have you patience with your children when you make angry? Has anybody got any good tips on that one? Because everybody probably has a different way to deal with that. So, anybody want to share something? How do I deal with it? I think I'm more patient with my last two than I was with my first two. I'm learning from experience. In the first one, you're probably overreactive, especially if it's your first child. Then you get better at it. And the older children, if you've done well with them, they'll help you sort the younger ones out as well. Right? What else? Exactly. So just take it easy with your first. If you find yourself getting angry, Mawlana Ashabali Thani says that never punish them when they've done something wrong and when you've gotten angry at that point. Because your anger will have a part in that and you may overdo it. You get angry, but then you give the punishment afterwards with a calmer mind. That's why with my younger two, especially, just saying something to them, just showing disapproval is enough. That's my first line. First line should always be disapproval, Dis uh, talking to them. Second line could be raising your voice. Third could be shouting. I know it sounds a bit long-winded, but believe me, it works. Fourth one, which worked very well for us, is okay, if you've done this, you need to sit in the corner, face the wall. Or sit in another room. And that's as bad as hitting sometimes. Then finally, we, then we deprive them of things. Like, okay, you can't have your computer time in the weekend. You lose one hour. Something like that. Believe me, it works. Just saying something is big. Or putting them on a corner is bigger. So you just have to get them trained for that, inshallah. And that will help us also not to... Because when you get to physically doing something, you can't control yourself. Whereas saying to sit in the corner, it gives you some kind of comfort as well. I'm doing something. I'm doing my job. But when you get into hitting, the shaitan takes your hand as well sometimes. So we ask Allah for tawfiq. And I think the final point was, Mufti Sahib on behalf of all of us at Maktabun Nisa, the office of the women. I remember the first time, which was like 10 years ago, I heard this name. I was like, that's an interesting name. The office of the women. Right? Jazakallah khair for your address and advice. May Allah accept that's du'as. I love du'as. Bring more of your du'as. You don't have to write him here, but more of your du'as, inshallah. Allah bless you all and um, uh, make it easy for you and make you exemplary women of the society and accept you all for the service of his deen and fill with you paradise. Allahumma <laughs> salam. 
اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث اللهم يا حمام يا منا لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنا كنا من الظالمين جز الله عنا محمد ما هو أهله يا الله we ask you for your special mercy يا الله we ask you for your special grace يا الله we ask you for your forgiveness يا الله we have done many wrongs Allah we've guilty of many crimes we're guilty of many shortcomings Oh Allah all of these years we've had many many shortcomings Oh Allah our death is around the corner if you do not have your mercy upon us if you do not deal with us with generosity then we have no hope and we have no scope Ya Allah we have nobody else to go to Oh Allah even the worst of us when they pray they bow in front of you Oh Allah, you told Musa and Harun to have deal softly and gentle, gently with Pharaoh. And he used to call himself the Lord. Oh Allah, we bow down in front of you. You are our highest Lord. So we expect that you will treat us with gentleness despite our wrongdoings. Oh Allah, we ask you for strength and conviction. We ask you for yaqeen. We ask you for your closeness. We ask you for your love. O oh Allah, also make our surroundings conducive to your worship. O oh Allah, give us equilibrium. O oh Allah, give us moderation. O oh Allah, give us piety. Grant us taqwa and purity. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, we ask that you accept us for the service of your deen. O oh Allah, many of us don't know how we can be of any service to our deen. O oh Allah, you know the best ways to do this. O oh Allah, we ask that you accept us for whatever it is that we can do. Oh Allah, so that we can leave a legacy in this world. Oh Allah, allow us to bring our children up in the correct way, to be God-fearing individuals, to be the next leaders of mankind and the next generations. Oh Allah, allow us in our marriages to set good examples. Grant us love in our marriages. Oh Allah, grant us blessing in our marriages. Oh Allah, make us among the knowledgeable, educated ones. Oh Allah, make us among those who know you, who are aware of you, who remember you abundantly, who are thankful of you. Oh Allah, you have given us more than so many others in this world. Oh Allah, with all that you have given us, do not make it a source of burden for us. Oh Allah, do not make us from the greedy ones. Oh Allah, grant us qana'a and contentment with what you have given us. For you have given us over and above so many others. Oh Allah, we ask that you do not make what you have given us a source of punishment for us. A source of mischief. Oh Allah, we ask that you make it a source of rahmah and mercy. Oh Allah, bless our ulama, bless our masajid. Oh Allah, grant us the ability to have in our families both alims and alimas that will help the community. Oh Allah, we ask that you bless this maktabun nisa and those who run it, those who organize, those who set this up, those who have brought us all here together today. Oh Allah, grant them abundant reward. Grant them abundant reward. And allow this barakah to be manifest, not just in them, but inshallah, in their progeny until the day of judgment. O oh Allah, accept our du'as and accept our coming here today despite our shortcomings. O oh Allah, send your abundant blessings on our Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and grant us company in the hereafter. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon wa salamun al mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.